While you're being seated, if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 3, the third chapter in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, this is the 12th message in the series as we've been moving through uh, the book of Philippians, and uh, I've, I've been challenged by it. Hopefully, you have as well. So we're finishing up chapter 3 today, God willing, next Sunday we will jump in beginning chapter 4, those first few verses in chapter 4. So I'm curious, I think I know the answer to this, but how many of you are involved in some area of social media? Let me see your hands real quickly. I would expect most Every hand going up in the first service, that was the case. Uh, if, if not most, many, many of you are familiar, obviously, and not just familiar with, but involved in social media as well. You know, it's interesting because in social media, to a large degree, uh, one's success, if you want to use that term loosely, is associated with how many followers they have. Now, Facebook is a little bit different, looking specifically at some of the other platforms. Now, the terminology that is used is, is being a follower of a person. And, uh, and I understand that doesn't mean that you follow every single thing they do or that they believe or, you know, like some cult member, you try to pattern your life after them specifically. But I think when you're, when you're looking at the whole issue of followers on social media, that the issue is not so much following as, as it is influence, right? It, you may follow someone, meaning that there's a place where you, you want to be somewhat in the loop more than normal. You want to hear a little bit of what their perspective is, what their take is. You want to read some of their stuff that they put out. You want to be exposed to their content. And, uh, and being a follower of them is a way that you're exposed to whatever influence that they may have. Now, this is not a message about social media, but social media is a great place for us to be reminded that all of us have influence to some degree. Some in our culture are valued more than others. So I did a little research this week, and I was curious, who has the most followers on social media? When you look at three of the biggest platforms outside of Facebook, again, those that use the terminology of followers, you've got Twitter, you've got Instagram, and you've got TikTok. And so think in your mind for just a moment, who do you think has the most followers uh, in, on the platform of Twitter? Think in your mind who that may possibly be. Now, I'll show you who that person is with a little over 130 million followers would be former President Barack Obama. And that's interesting. That means over 100, over 500 million. Let's move to TikTok, a little newer platform. It is, I'll give you a second to, uh, to more hands, upwards of 200 million followers. His name is Kabi Lamy. And it's interesting because Kabi Lamy has, well, he's an Italian citizen, actually. He was working in a factory, 22 years old now, so he was 19, 20, back when COVID hit and laid off from that factory. He immediately began putting together very specific, unique, comical, made fun of some of those life hacks that are available, you know, that are out there, you know, how to do things, that he is no longer trying to get that job back in the factory. He is a professional by vocation, social media personality. This is now his job. All right. Kabi Lamy, 200 million followers. All right. So let's take that image down. Let's do a little kind of pull some of this together. When you think about it, this says a lot about our culture, right? Because the three leading follower type platforms on social media include a former president of the United States, a soccer player, and a professional social media content producer, right? You could not have more variants perhaps than that. And what it reminds us is, is that our world is filled with people of influence. Our world is filled with voices that want to influence you. Our world is filled with images that want to influence you. Our world is filled with perspectives and with content and with words and with all kinds of things in multiple mediums that want to influence you. And it's not just the people out there, right? Your workplace, 
your family, your neighborhood, your community, the, the, the music you listen to, the books that you read, the people that you watch, the people that you follow and so put, put together creates a very lives are shaped, at least in part, a large degree are shaped by the influence of other people, right? And you've got all of that influence in your ear, right? You've got that influence in your life, in front of your eyes, everywhere you go, whether it's the grocery store, whether it's to a ball game, whether it's on your phone, whether it's at work, no matter where you go, you are surrounded by voices, images, and by people who are looking to influence you. Now, when I think about my life, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of people that I could say have influenced me that have to some degree shaped my life as it is today. Here's the scary thing. Most of those people, I have no idea in the moment that they are influencing me, right? Most of the people that have influenced me, and I've been on this earth for a while, most of the people who have influenced me to the degree to where I've been shaped by their influence, most of them, I can't even call your name because I don't remember their influence, I don't remember the moment when it occurred, but something through their life impacted me, whether positively or negatively, to the point to where it began to shape my life. But there are certain names of people, right, that I can think of who have influenced me and influenced me greatly to the point to where I am today. And I'll start with my family, with Susie, Hannah, Drew, and April. My kids now are at an age where all of them, 18, 15, and 12, where they all of them in their own unique way, and Susie obviously as well as my wife, they all have have a, a way of influencing me, right, influencing me for good to the point to where now because of of their ages as my kids. It's not just changing diapers and trying to help feed them, obviously, any longer, but there are things and qualities about them and the way they live their life and the things that they value that have a huge influence on me for good, right? And so they are influencers in my life, maybe without even realizing it. I look in my ministry, and I go back years and years and years, and I look at uh, two men specifically, one named uh, Jim Martin, And another name, Jerry Brown, not the old former governor of California, but Jerry Brown, right? Both of those men I served with in ministry in the first church I ever served with. I served under their leadership. They were my pastor. They were the ones that I served alongside of and under their lead and uh, for three years for each one of them. And it's hard for me to separate the way I do ministry today from something that they poured into me. Both of those men, Jim Martin, Jerry Brown, both influenced the way that I do ministry, especially in a sense of relating to other people. Much of this uh, was, was kind of poured into me by through those two men. As it relates to discipleship, uh, there, were, there were two men in my life that poured into me and that God used to influence me heavily. One, a pastor named Mike Bedford, who served in the same city that I did for years, and uh, he poured into me. And then there's another man, Ray Lawrence, when I was a, a student in college. And uh, Ray was one who came alongside of other guys. He had a ministry that put him in close proximity to... Um, to guys that were uh, involved in athletics, and, and he was one that I met in that, through that venue, and he began to pour into me, and, he, and God used him to shape my life to the point to where today, the way I look at discipleship is largely shaped by the influence that Ray Lawrence had in my life. He's in heaven today, but he influenced me, and he influenced me greatly, I mean, to, to a degree to where so much of what I do now is, in a lot of ways, a reflection of him. I, I look in my early days of ministry, I, I look at... Um, uh, Max Lucado is an author. I look at Tony Evans as a preacher, 
And uh, I don't know either of those guys. If you were to drop my name because you meet them in the airport, they'd say, uh, Brooke who? Right? They'd probably mess my name up. Right? They don't have a clue who I am. I've never met them. I'm not on their radar, but they were very much on mine. And the way they communicated just clicked with me to the point to where I, I just was engrossed in anything they would preach or write. And, and, and it's a kind of a reflection of that in the way I look to do ministry still today. So you've got influencers like that in your life, right? You've got people who have directly poured into you, but more often than not, in an indirect way, you are influenced by the voices, by the example, by the, by the testimonies, by the lives that are lived by other people, whether for good or whether for bad. The question is, the voices and the influence that you value the most, are those helping you to be more like Jesus, or are they hindering you from being more like Jesus? The people that you quote-unquote follow, not just in social media, but the people whose perspective you value, whose words you value, whose input you value, whose take on life that you value, is that helping you to be more like Christ or is that hindering you being more like Jesus? Because the, the voices that we value are going to shape us. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul goes there. And he goes there very directly at the end of chapter 3. This morning, we're going to look at verse 15 through the end of chapter 3 through verse 21. But I want to I manage this passage a little bit differently. I want to start in the middle because I think it helps us to understand where Paul is going with this. And I, I think it helps us to understand kind of the, the theme and the flow of what Paul is saying here. All right? So we're going to deal today with Philippians 3. Uh, verse 15 through 21, but we're going to start with verse 18. And so let's just go ahead and jump there. Looking at the topic of influence, of what influence do we value in our own lives, in our own walks, and also secondarily, let's just say, I don't even say secondarily, on equal status, uh, what kind of an influence are we on the lives of others around us? So let's jump in. Verse 18, right there in the middle is where we're going to start. So Paul writes and he says, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul, there's almost this picture here. There's this image that I have as I read that verse. There's this image of Paul and he's dealing with the Philippian Christians with the church, almost kind of like a dad with his kids, right? And and Paul loved this church. He, He was not physically with this church right now. He was when the church was started 10, 12 years before, but right now as he writes this, he was in a Roman prison, and he's writing this letter that would be read before the church all the way in the city of Philippi, this little Roman colony, and, and as he writes this letter to a church that he deeply, deeply loved, the feel of this moment in verse 18 is that he's kind of like gathering his kids around, and he says, I want to talk to you about life for just a second, because it's not as easy inside this bubble as you think it is, out there in the world it gets cold and hard. That's kind of the picture that Paul has here. And he says to this group, he says that there are many out there who walk, and I've often told you this, I've told you before and I'm telling you again, and I'll tell you now, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. When Paul looked at them, uh, the, those who, who Paul, who's speaking of it, he doesn't name who they are. Maybe they're the old Judaizers that he deals with earlier in the book of Philippi, people who kind of looked religious, but in the end, they were not leading anybody closer to God, right? Maybe he's talking about them. He doesn't say it specifically. What I think here is that Paul's just talking about those out there. 
and they're out there in every culture at all, at all periods of time, right? He's talking about those that he describes as enemies of the cross of Christ. He paints this picture in verse 19. He begins to describe them even further. He says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, and who set their minds on earthly things. What Paul is describing is exactly what the culture in general is like today. He's describing people, right, who have no real moral compass. Let's use social media as an example. You see no real moral compass. You take a cross-section of the world as it sits today, and you drop them down and do a little examination there. What you'll see is that the general tone and tenor of this world in which we live is that there is no moral compass, right? It's up to each individual to decide what the boundaries are for their life. There's really nothing that speaks from the outside to that that is given any any voice. The world just decides for itself what the moral moral compass is going to be, and it changes from person to person to person. Paul is describing that. He's describing the person who has no real boundaries in life. The general uh, motivation of life is, I know what I want, and I know what it takes to get it, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I desire. That's what Paul is describing here. He's describing this picture that is prevalent in our world, and it is an influential voice of the perspective that says life is about me, and it's not about others, and it certainly is not about any authority over me. This is what Paul is describing, and he uses very clear language. He says their end, and the Greek word there is the Greek word telos. It means the ultimate end is destruction. He says their God is their appetite. What they value and treasure more than anything else is getting their own uh, personal uh, um, fleshly desires um, uh, ultimately fulfilled. That's the desire. It uses a very, a very picturesque word, the word appetite, right? Think about you. You haven't eaten in two days, right? You're going to eat anything that's put in front of you. If you haven't eaten in two days, you're going to eat whatever it is because all you care about is suppressing this appetite, fulfilling this appetite. It can be 12 crystals for all you care, right? With those gross little onions, but boy, isn't a crystal really, really good. But for a lot of you, I know you can't stand. It can be the worst thing you can imagine. If you haven't eaten in two days, you're going to eat whatever's in front of you because your appetite is, is driving the show. Paul says, out in the culture, apart from Christ, there are those, the general tenor of the culture are those whose, their, their appetite is their God, right? That is what drives them. This is what they care about more than anything else. He says, they glory in their shame. And, and this is interesting because, uh, I mean, there, there's so many things in our culture today that even 20, 30 years ago, I mean, even the, even the general population would have been like, boy, that's kind of going over the edge, isn't it? And now those very things are the things that are celebrated. Right? Paul, say, Paul says there are those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. They glory in their shame. And then he says their minds are set on earthly things. The things of God are not even on the radar. Listen, this is the influence that surrounds you, is what he just described in verse 18 and 19. This is the influence. When you go to the workplace, when you turn on the television, when you get on social media, when you navigate this world in which we live, no matter where you go, this, by and large, is the influence that surrounds you. This is the influence that you're swimming around in. And you can't silence it, you can't turn it off, you can't make it go away, no matter how hard you try. This is the world in which we live. And when you send your kids to school, right, 
This is the, this is the influence that they step into. And you say, well, Brooks, my kids are in a Christian school. When you send your kids to Christian school, this is the influence that they're stepping into. This is the world in which we live, right? This is reality. Paul nailed it 2,000 years ago, and if he were to stand up here in this spot and preach again, he wouldn't change a thing. He would nail it today with the same exact words. This is the influence that we have to do business with. This is the influence that if we value it, will shape us and does shape us if we're not intentional more than we even realize. So let's call verse 18 and 19 the issue, okay? Verse 18, verse 19, that's the issue Paul's dealing with right here in this passage, in my opinion. That's the issue. You live in a world that is ultimately driven by enemies of the cross of Christ. And you got to find your way. The good thing is he tells us a few ways to find our way if we start going back to verse 15. So verse 15, he starts with the remedy. And I think there are three of them here, I think. First remedy he deals with in verse 15 and verse 16 is that we need to walk in truth and not lower the bar. Verse 15, he says, let us therefore, as many as are perfect. He's not, he's not saying to the Philippians, I know that you've, you've arrived in your Christian life. You're perfect now. Remember, last Sunday, we talked about different types of sanctification. One of those is we're made perfect when we give our lives to Jesus. But it's the rest of our lives that God molds and shapes us, right, to, to be more like Jesus. Paul is, in a sense, saying here, You've been made perfect because of your relationship with Christ. He says, so, so therefore, have this attitude. And if in anything you've, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Verse 16, however, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Paul is saying, you have been made holy on the inside because of your identification with Jesus. You've given your life to Christ. He's made you holy on the inside. You've got a long way to go to be just like him, but God's going to keep working if you allow him, right? God has made you holy. Now that very same work that he's done, he's made you holy. Keep living by that same standard. In other words, walk in the truth and don't lower the bar. Every year we have students that stand up here who transition from senior in high school to either career or freshman in college, many of whom go away to another city to perform that, all of whom go away into a new stage of life. And every year, churches just like ours have a platform with students who are making the move out into the world in a way as unlike they had ever experienced before. And one of the best things that we could ever say to those students is when you get out there where this world will eat your lunch and spit it and you out along with it, right, in an instant, when you get out there, just remember everything God's done in you from the time when you first met him to all those years in children's ministry and student ministry and everything he's done in you. Don't forget those things when you get out there. Don't lay the truth aside. Don't try to redefine it, but walk in it and do not lower the bar. Because this world will do everything to try to cause you to redefine what God has already said is truth and to lower the bar because everybody else is lowering the bar. 
in every area of life. And that's not just the seniors headed off to school. That is every one of us. When you go to your workplace, when you navigate online, this world in which you live is constantly drawing you to redefine truth and to lower the bar. And I'm telling you, you and I cannot afford to do that. Verse 16, he says, keep living by that same standard. Let let me just talk about truth for a quick second. Truth by its very nature doesn't change, right? Truth by its nature is not subjective. Truth is eternal. Truth is objective. We know what it is. It does not. By its nature, it cannot change because if it changes, it's not truth, right? (laughs) I know that gets deep. Imagine how the nine o'clock crowd would have struggled with that. Truth doesn't change. Truth cannot change. Truth is transcultural. There's not a European truth and then a North American truth and an African truth. Truth is truth. It is transcultural. It applies through every age, in every circumstance, at every stage of life. Truth does not change. Truth is discovered. It is not invented right? Where does truth come from? Truth comes from God. What did Jesus say about himself? John 14, 6, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. Truth is a person. God communicates truth to us. How does he do that? He does it through, through Jesus when he walked this earth and through his word, right? That's how he does this. He communicates truth. Truth is not invented. I don't like move to a new stage of life and say, hey, I've discovered a, or, or, or I've just sort of created a brand new truth for myself. And I know you've got your truth and, and they have their truth, but this is my truth and this is what I'm going to walk in. It doesn't work that way. That's not the nature of truth. It's not invented. It can't be redefined. It can't be tweaked. It is only discovered when God reveals it, and he's revealed it through his word. And I know this sounds like a really pastor kind of thing to say, but man, I'm just telling you, that's why we have to be in this book consistently. Because if we don't, you were swimming, swimming around in a pool with the voices Paul just nailed in verse 18 and verse 19 without any consolation of truth whatsoever to help you, not just to keep afloat, but to survive and thrive. So how do we remedy This culture we live in that is so far from God, whose voices are so loud that seek to influence us, often without us even realizing it. How do we remedy this? Number one, we remedy it, verse 15 to 16, by walking in truth, walking in truth consistently, and and ultimately, just like that passage tells us, by not lowering the bar in this world in which we live. There's a second remedy Paul gives. And we find it in verse 17. And that second remedy is to follow the example of other godly followers of Jesus. Follow the example of other godly followers of Jesus. Look at how he says this in verse 17. Paul says an interesting statement. He says, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. I mean, Paul goes there. He says, he says, follow my example. You may think, boy, this is kind of an arrogant thing to say. I mean, Paul's saying, follow me. I thought we we're supposed to follow Jesus. Well, Paul said it, and God wrote this, so I must be okay with God, right? Paul says, follow my example. Oh, and by the way, it's not just me. He says, look at those around you who are also walking according to the same pattern you've seen in us and follow them too. He's saying, look around. Find the people of influence who surround you 
that you know are, are influencing you for good, not evil, right? Who are influencing you for Christ, for the sake of the gospel, to be more like Jesus, and at all costs, find them, right? No matter where you are, if it's in your workplace and, and you don't have this kind of an, env- an environment, right, where, where the environment in your workplace is constantly negative, where it's beat down, where it's, it, it steers you away from God, it hinders and hurts your walk with Christ, right? You need to, at all costs, find somebody appropriate in your workplace who's going to help you to be encouraged in the things of God. It doesn't mean you as a married man go find some single woman there and say, hey, my preacher said to come out and find you. No, not going there. That's only going to hurt things, okay? But you know what I mean. You got to find that person. If you're on a campus, if you're on a high school campus, middle school campus, college campus, wherever it is, you've got to find the people that are ultimately going to help to pour into you and to influence you in the ways of God, right? Got to find those people. When I was a student at Georgia, I went to Georgia as a veteran, right? Um, <laughs> I was in college here uh, for two years and a quarter, and then I transferred to Georgia. Not everybody can do this, but I crammed a four-year degree into almost six. I know. I'm gifted that way. And <clears throat> so when I went to Georgia, I had no idea. I had a little idea, but uh, you know, I didn't know what my major was going to be, and I, I just knew, kind of had these aspirations, I'm going to go to Georgia. And, and so I went there. And one of the best things that happened to me during that time in college in Athens was that I met this guy, Ray Lawrence, that I mentioned already previously. And there were two buddies of mine that became close friends during those college days. One, a guy named Doug Cornfield from Sinking Spring, Pennsylvania, and Eric Tyson from Tifton, Georgia. Both of those guys ran track. They were incredibly talented, but more than anything, they loved the Lord. And I was involved in Campus Crusade there. I didn't work for them. I wasn't a staffer. Those days would come a long way down the road where I would start serving in ministry in that capacity. I was just a person who for the first time had been exposed to a group of people my age, my life stage that were like me, who were absolutely sold out for Jesus Christ. Had never really experienced it at that level before. And those two guys were incredibly influential without ever even realizing it, right? Influential in my life to help me to be where I needed to be and to help to cultivate in me a real heart for the Lord. They were people of influence. They never said it, but they could have said, Brooks, follow us. And if I had, like I did, it would have all turned out okay. Right? You need people like that. And if you don't have them, you need to pray for them. And if you, if, while you're praying for them, you need to look for them. And you need to get up tight with them. Sometimes they are shoulder to shoulder. Many times, or sometimes the case is, you'll, you'll find those people. You'll, you may never meet them, but they're influential in another way. Maybe they are online. Maybe they do write books. Maybe they do speak, right? But you need to surround yourself with those kinds of people. And by the way, let me just, let me just go here for a second real quickly. You need to ask yourself, like, if somebody else followed me, would I lead them closer to Jesus? Am I that kind of a person as well? Because right? it's not just those out there that, man, I need somebody to help me that I can follow that will point me to Jesus and help me to be more like him, that will speak into my life. But oftentimes we never think, well, maybe God wants me to be that person. Let me just say, he does want you to be that kind of a person. And this is the biggest, the, this is the biggest hurdle. when you, if, I were, if I were to preach this in any church, anywhere, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain this is going to be the big, biggest hurdle. If I were to say to the people sitting there looking at me, God wants to use you for, uh, to be a person that others can follow to get closer to Jesus. The biggest hurdle is going to be, oh, Brooks, I'm not there yet. 
I'm not there yet. Uh, maybe another year, maybe five years. You know, I don't really read as much as I should. I got these issues in my life. I got a long way to go, meaning I'm not going to be a pattern for anybody else to follow. Let me just discredit that for just a moment by saying oftentimes it's in the way you handle the struggles of life. It's how you handle the times when you face plant in your walk with the Lord. It's in how you handle the struggles and the temptations and the challenges. It's how you handle those things that speak even louder than anything you could pour into somebody, right? And when I look, I remember, I remember my, my buddy, Ray. I, just, I didn't even I didn't even think about this. It's not my notes. I remember riding with him one time. He's in heaven now. He played football at the University of Florida. That was about the only major flaw I could think about for him. He got, a, got assigned to the campus in Athens. It's kind of humorous. He wasn't that much older than me, but he was married, two kids, two little girls. I remember riding down some long road. He used to love to hunt and fish. And, and I, remember him, I remember him saying he, he used to dip. Now, this isn't my commentary on dipping. This is just Ray's perspective. He used to dip. And, and he knew it was something he needed to put away in his life. And he just, he just kind of went there with me. He said, you know, I, I know, I know, I just need to put this away. And I st- here I am, graduated college in 89, over 30 years ago, and I still remember that. And I can stand on a platform preaching to a group of people and not even have that in my notes, and it pop in my head, and it still reminds me that God can use the struggles that we face at times to have a huge influence on other people when we handle those struggles in a way that honors the Lord. So don't ever think you don't have anything to offer. All he's looking for is your surrender. And he can use your life to do the rest. We live in a world filled with a picture, with voices and influence that don't reflect Jesus. Paul says, navigate that by walking in truth. Don't lower the bar. He says, secondly, follow the example of other godly followers of Jesus. And then I'll close with this. He says, number three, just remember, keep in mind, don't ever forget that your citizenship is in heaven, not this world. Verse 20, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven. I know you wondered where I got that point from, right? (laughs) For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. And remember, he wrote this from prison. He wrote this from a group of people who knew full well what citizenship meant because they were Roman citizens living in Philippi. They had certain rights and privileges afforded to them by their Roman citizenship that not everybody in this world had. And Paul is saying, listen, you think your Roman citizenship is something. (laughs) It's like garbage compared to the citizenship that you have right now as followers of Jesus in heaven. Paul could say that no matter what happens as you walk with Jesus, keeping the bar high, you may be persecuted and so love your enemies. Pray for them who persecute you. You may be ostracized. You may be kicked out. Who knows? You may even ultimately die for your faith. But just remember, Philippian believers, no matter what comes, You were citizens of another kingdom under the leadership of another king, and this is not your home. Your home is waiting. And so walk by the standard that we've taught you. Keep the bar high, walk in truth, 
Surround yourself with each other who other are other followers of Jesus. By the way, that's why church is so important. When we treat it not as a place where we come, but where we belong. And by all means, remember, this is not your home. You've got one waiting for you. That's going to blow you away. So let me ask you as I close, what is it in your life that has influence today that really probably needs to go? You know, is it, a, is it a, a person that you follow? Is it something that carries influence in your life? What is it in your life that's really, maybe it's toxic, maybe it's just, it's just such a poor influence, and it's just time for it to go. If you're married to it, don't kick them out, okay? <laughs> just work together. <laughs> they live under your roof. Don't go that route. But what is it that needs to go? What is it that needs to be adru- adjusted? Not the truth. But what needs to be adjusted so that your influence is not something that's pulling you further from Jesus, but your influence is something that's helping you to become more like him. And for those of you in families, by the way, let me just say, one of the greatest opportunities you have is to help those who live under your roof to one day hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't always do that well. You probably don't either. But, man, we've got a great opportunity to influence those closest to us, to be more like the Savior that we adore. So don't let the world creep in and steal it. Live in a way that puts him on display. And if you don't know him, don't let another day pass before even right now you say, Jesus, would you forgive even me and take over? Hey, he's God. He died. He rose. I promise you he'll be glad to. Let's pray. Lord, what a powerful passage of Scripture. Just stuck right there at the end of chapter 3. Lord, that challenges us today, challenges me. Lord, so, so deeply. Lord, we, we swim in a pool, Lord, of influence that, that doesn't reflect you. And Lord, we are shaped by that influence. And Lord, right here in this passage, I think you make it clear that if we don't want to go down with the ship and if we don't want to be led further and further from you, then, Lord, we've got to walk in the truth and we've got to keep that bar high. That we need to surround ourselves with people that we can say, you know what, if I follow them, I'm going to get closer to Christ. And we need to be people that others can look to and say, I can follow them because they're going to help me be more like Jesus. And over all of it, God, we need to remember that this world is not our home. There's no reason for us to put our stakes in too deep and try to be like it. Lord, there's a home waiting for us that, you've already gonna, that you're going to prepare for us. And until then, the greatest thing we can do is to worship you, our Savior, as we wait for you to come and to help steer as many people as we can to you until that day arrives. Lord, save those today who've asked you, Jesus, to forgive and take over. I know you do. And God, give us the courage to plant our feet and to live in a way that puts you on display in this fallen world for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.